the Bigs, brought to you by Kyle Straub Realty in association with Better Homes and Gardens. If you or somebody you know are looking to buy or sell a home, give me a call at 845-430-8415. I am Kyle Straub. He is Pat James. We appreciate you joining us for another episode here of Bosch to the Bigs as Carolina rebounds after the weekend sweep at Miami and picks up a midweek win, a much-needed one as you get into this weekend with Virginia Tech coming into town Carolina now 19-6 and six on the season after the 6-4 win, Pat. And I think the score makes it seem like the game was a little bit closer than it was. Carolina really was in control right out of the gate in that one. Yeah, you know, obviously, I mean, UNC's able to jump on them that early thanks to that Danny Serretti first inning homer. I mean, you know, a really big moment for that team, you know, obviously coming off of, you know, a tough weekend there in Miami. You know, we, we talked to Danny afterwards and, you know, I asked him, you know, what does that mean? You know, obviously you, you want to bounce back quickly. I mean, when you score three runs right out of the gate, I mean, just, does that mean a whole while? Like, is that able, does it make it easier to move past that weekend? And he kind of joked, he's like, I'd love to say no, but yeah, for sure. It definitely does. <laughs> so, I mean, just to be able to do that right away, I thought that was huge. And like you said, I mean, you know, UNCW comes back a little bit, but never really seemed like UNC ever lost control. And obviously, you know, was able to finally, push those last two runs across, you know, courtesy of that Alberto Asuna blast there in the eighth. Yeah, that ball's still going, and we'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> I wanted to touch on the fourth run that Carolina scores, which comes in the second inning. So it wasn't just that they got runs in the first. They load the bases in the second inning, less than two outs. I think there was actually no outs at the time. Um, Tomas Frick comes to the plate, and we talked about how they left 31 on against Miami, and it was the first time they kind of looked like they were pushing a little bit, trying to do too much, which is something that we saw last year. And Coach Forbes kind of talked about not wanting to see as much as you're wanting to see a little bit calmer at the plate. Well, Frick doesn't have the spectacular play, but he gets the job done. Sacrifice fly, scores the run in the inning. It ends up being the only one, but you get a run across and it just looks better and feels better when you get one versus leaving the bases loaded and not coming up with any runs at all. Absolutely. And, you know, I think that at bat, you know, is once again, just another illustration of just how far Tomas has come. You know, that was his second sacrifice fly of the season. He had zero in his 53 games that he played in all of last year. Um, You know, he's now up to a team leading 20 RBIs as well. So just, I mean, there's a continued progression that we've seen from him. You know, I think just kind of going off that point a little bit in terms of, you know, the overall approach and everything. You know, one guy who, you know, Coach Forbes mentioned afterwards was uh, Johnny Castagnazzi, you know, who we've also talked about a lot this year. Um, You know, he only went one for four in that game. But, you know, Coach Forbes said that, you know, last year, if he had been coming off a weekend such as that, you know, of a rough weekend, you know, it would have been one for four with like three strikeouts. Mm -hmm. You know, didn't strike out in that game on Tuesday. I think just, you know, another illustration of just kind of, you know, how far, you know, all these young guys have kind of come along in terms of their uh, progression. Yeah, it's, it's definitely another one that, you know, it's kind of funny as you were saying that. I thought, man, Johnny got one hit and he falls under the radar. We're not talking about him because he didn't have a multi-hit game, but that's where he's at now. So another good one to point out. Carolina saw a UNC Wilmington team that, you know, they're always tough. We've played them twice a year this season. Um, saw two of their starters actually come in out of the bullpen and not uncommon completely with opponents in the midweek games. Guys are going to get some work, but because of that, Carolina kind of got shut down in the middle innings there before Osuna hit. I mean, StatCast said, I think it was like 430 something, but there's no way that that ball was not further than that. He hit it over the batter's eye. We're talking about a 30, 35 foot wall beyond the fence that's marked at 405. It was a absolute moonshot. 
Yeah, I mean, Coach Forbes said it best. I mean, he hasn't seen many balls hit much further uh, in his time you know, at the Bosch. Um, and a really great at bat there by Alberto. You know, having a rough day so far. Obviously, been kind of you know not not slumping necessarily, but you know, not a ton of results kind of coming his way. Um, was 0-4 at that point when he came to the plate, and you know, and he talked about how you know going into that bat, you know, he goes out there, falls behind 0-1 right away after letting a fastball go right down in the middle on him. Um, and, you know, he talked about how, you know, like with a lot of these guys, how, you know, using kind of the breathing techniques and things like that, that Dr. Jenny Shan has worked on them with, um, you know, so he said he kind of took a step back, you know, took a deep breath, looked at his bat and just kind of relaxed himself a little bit. You know, next pitch was a ball and then he comes out there and was kind of able to slow everything down, obviously hit that monstrous blast. Um, I think that just kind of says a lot about just kind of, you know, where Alberto is. Obviously, you know, maybe not still performing at quite the superstar level sort of expectations that were, you know, fairly or unfairly, you know, kind of set for him coming in. You know, obviously ranked as, you know, the number one Juco prospect in the country coming into this season. Um, but, you know, kind of going off that same point, you know, he talked about how, you know, at this level, you know, the pitching is just so good that you almost need to try to do less. Um, at that point, and I think that's something you're seeing a little bit more of kind of progressively, you know, that's a few games now here in a row, you know, that Friday night game on at Miami is an example where, you know, he came up there in the ninth inning and also hit a home run in that one after having you know, a rough day so far. So I think, you know, the fact that he's able to kind of, you know, not let earlier bats in the game affect him and still be able to make an impact in some ways just kind of says, you know, kind of where he's at at this point. Yeah, when you come in having a hundred driven in the year prior in just one season, you're going to have some high expectations. <laughs> but I think it is encouraging that what you're looking for, right, is the the growth. You're getting better, and if you go back and look at first week or so of the season, Alberto at the plate versus this past week, I think you're starting to see a very different batter up there. Um, still some things to work on, but good signs and and really a lot of fun to watch. Um, that ball was absolutely crushed. I think they said it was the third hardest ball that was hit since they've been able to start tracking them. And I'll give you one guess on who had the top two. It was not a Birdo bomb. It was a Bado bomb on those ones, um, Aaron <laughs> Sabato. But, uh, but yeah, just, just really encouraging. I think all around offensively, you get six runs, you find a way to win a game in a tight contest against a good midweek opponent. And to be honest is, much as it was nice to see some of those things offensively, the story of this game was out on the mound for Carolina, though. Brandon Schaefer got the start, kind of a get-right start, and things went pretty well for him the first couple of innings. Got off the rails there in the third. Honestly, I don't know that much of it was his fault directly. Did give up a double and a home run in that inning, but you have an error that allows a run to score. A ball call on, I have no idea what, but that gets another run across as well. Um, so not quite the start that he wanted, but Davis Palermo came in after that and was absolutely lights out. I mean, Davis just continues to look better and better. You know, it's kind of interesting. You know, you look back on that weekend in Miami, obviously the bullpen, you know, quote unquote, you're kind of struggling and for the first time really all season down there in South Beach. But, you know, one thing that Coach Forbes talked about is that he thought Davis had a really big moment down there in Miami in terms of coming in there on Sunday and kind of holding the lead at two to one at that point when he came in, you know, just for him to be able to come in there and do that against ACC competition, he just thought that, you know, that was another big growth step for him. And then obviously he follows that up here on Tuesday, 
you know, matching his career high in innings pitch over three and a third, matching his career high in strikeouts. And oh yeah, he didn't allow a single guy to reach on base, you know, against the 10 guys he faced. I mean, so really just be able to come in there to kind of shut the door on them while UNC, you know, obviously, like you said, wasn't able to get much going offensively at that point. Um, he really just kind of stayed the ship there. And I think, you know, the continued evolution that we've seen from Davis over the course of the year and really just over the course of the past, you know, 10 months or so, you know, since he went over uh, to Holly Springs over the summer. Um, I think that's really about to start to open some doors just for kind of where this pitching staff can go a little bit. Yeah. Uh, PD house comes in and then Mott for the final three innings to the bullpen ends up going six and a third gives up just one hit, one other base runner, which was a batter that PD has hit on a, I believe it was a one, two count back door, uh, back foot breaking ball that literally hit the kid's back foot. Um, but those are the only two that get on and they end up striking out eight between the three of them. Um, the final line for Schaefer, by the way, not too bad. Two and two thirds, three hits, four runs, but just one of them were earned. He walked one and struck out three. So overall, a good game for Carolina uh, on the field, both hitting and pitching. Defense, I thought, was solid outside of the one error on the play home. Um, but, you know, in in the stadium, they gave the error to Stokely. I thought it should have been on Frick. It ends up getting changed and put on Tomas. But I had the thought and didn't share it because it ended up being on Stokely. How much of that play earlier got into the head of Tomas of, I don't want to reach out too far to make this because they may be saying I'm interfering with the catcher, with the runner, and kind of, it wasn't alligator arms, but just didn't quite aggressively go after that ball. Yeah, it was kind of an unusual play for Tomas. I mean, we know how good he is behind the play. I mean, just kind of just seemed a little uncharacteristic. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that kind of factored into his mindset at all. I mean, obviously, that might be the first time really that I can think of. I'm trying to recall of, you know, any other, you know, play at the plate really that we've had since that Coastal Carolina game. So, I mean, I think that is kind of an interesting point to point out. I mean, I think, again, I thought it was a pretty nice play there by Stokely. I mean, just continuing to look so sharp there at first base. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's really been one of the, you know, biggest, I don't know if surprises are the right words. We talked about how he could be a pretty impact guy, um, specifically on the offensive end. Um, well, I'll say it, I'm surprised. I'm very surprised at his defense. <laughs> we yeah. knew he could hit, but what he's done defensively has been really, really surprising to me. And I love watching it. Well, I think what's so impressive about it is, you know, and Coach Forbes talks about every time the Hunter comes up is, you know, he's so big that, you know, just kind of the general ideas, you know, you're not going to think of him as an athletic guy. But you can mm-hmm. see that athleticism in there uh, in very specific moments, such as that one. He's kind of like got like really soft feet. Like, you know, he's kind of able to work around really easily, it seems like. And uh, I mean, and yeah. hands too. Yeah, for sure. It's just, I mean, it, he makes a lot of picks there at first base. That I think you kind of like, mm-hmm. take for granted. I mean, it's really been impressive to see just kind of how far he's come along. And I think he's only kind of scratching the surface of what he can be defensively as well. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on him over at first and maybe start getting some extra base hits. Every hit but one this year for him, and he's hitting over 300, but every hit has been a single, uh, just a singles machine, which, hey, keep getting on, big fella. But (laughs) if you want to sprinkle in a little bit of of doubles and maybe a home run, we'd be okay with it. Um, So you had kind of mentioned with Palermo going three and a third, coming off of that really good outing at Miami, could open some kind of different avenues for Carolina and what they want to do with the pitching staff. Well, with Schaefer going on Tuesday, obviously not going to be the starter this coming Friday. And we still don't know if it's going to be Bover or Carlson. I think it, it really is kind of a toss up between those two. Bover, in my mind, probably has the better raw stuff. Carlson 
is more of the proven commodity. So we'll see how it shakes out with the coaches. Ultimately, I don't think it really matters. One guy is Friday, one guy is Saturday, but you get to Sunday and you kind of have some options is the way I'll put it. I don't think it's a question mark. It's what way do you want to go? Because you can go out there and run Schaefer out again. He's going to be on enough rest and throw too many pitches Tuesday to not be an option. Palermo has made starts before. I know they like him out of the bullpen. So does that mean that maybe Kyle Mott, who was at one time thought of a weekend starter, given that opportunity? And then I guess it's pretty much everybody who just pitched. Petey House has been that Sunday guy. Could you go ahead and piggyback him with somebody to create a starter of sorts that'll get you through five, six, seven innings? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because one of the big advantages of this team we've talked about a few times is you have several guys who can give you multiple innings in whatever sort of role, whether it be as a starter, you know, Sean Rapp is another guy who obviously has that starter experience, Mm -hmm. you know, Will Sandy's just another guy who we haven't obviously seen a lot on the weekends because they've mostly used him as a midweek guy so far this year. You know, he's got that ACC experience as well, Connor Olio. I mean, Caden O'Brien even has, you know, some starts under his belt and obviously has the ability, as we saw on the Sunday, you know, to give you at least three innings, you know, whether it be in relief or as a starter. Um, so I think that's one of the bigger kind of advantages of this pitching staff is just, you know, a number of guys can go. I mean, Nick Pry, again, another guy who can give you multiple innings, Gage Gillian. I can keep going here if I, if I really <laughs> want to. Um, but I think it will be kind of interesting to see how UNC kind Caden, of goes art. Yeah, again, <laughs> how they kind of mix things around here a little bit. I, I would, I would be, you know, kind of expecting you know, to see, you know, Bovair. You know, haven't seen him pitched on Saturday. I'll probably expect him to pitch on Friday this week, and then Max yeah, on agree. Saturday. And we'll see how they kind of go from there. On Sunday, I mean, you're right. I mean, you mentioned Kyle Mott right there. You know how they've talked about how he could be a weekend starter. And Coach Forbes, he reiterated that same point after Tuesday's game, thinking that he still has that potential. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him out there. We've seen him go two innings plus in each of his last eight or so appearances. I mean, he had two and two thirds against Coastal as well. Um, go so back we, to that pit series, he had seven and two thirds going two plus in three consecutive days. Yeah. I mean, you know, I know again, you know, he quote unquote struggled a little bit there in that game in Miami on Saturday where he gave up four runs. Um, but, you know, looked really sharp there over his first two for the most part. He threw 56 pitches in that game. So he's obviously capable of going out there and kind of giving you maybe four or so, I would feel like. Um, and again, Shad and Peavy House, I mean, haven't used him in that role so far this year. Um, I think he's definitely another option we could see out there. You know, and maybe Brandon, you know, Schaefer, you know, maybe he does, you know, maybe not start. I mean, maybe you could bring him in, though, for an inning or two if you feel comfortable with it. Um, I think, you know, the coaching staff is just continuing to have these conversations as well, you know, kind of yeah. exploring all the different options they have. I mean, the crazy part is we still have two plus months of the regular season left. So, <laughs> so I think there's gonna be a lot of tinkering still to go as we kind of move forward, you know, into April and into May eventually. Yeah, I think the, the hope is, and I don't see a reason why it won't be, is that if you get Friday and Saturday right, Sunday becomes a lot less important in terms of who's starting, because if you can get a guy Friday or Saturday to give you five innings, you're not using the bullpen as much as the Tar Heels have had to the last couple of weekends, which by the time you get to Sunday, I don't care how good your bullpen is, you're going to be taxed. There's going to be guys who have either been overused or used enough that they're no longer available. The other team at that point has also gotten more opportunities to see him. So if you get Friday and Saturday right, Sunday can be one where you mix a couple of guys together or even just choose who you think matches up best against the opponent that you're going against. Because we're talking about guys 
that are both righties and lefties here. And going off that point a little bit, you know, entering this season, based on how dominant he was in the preseason, it seemed like Brandon Schaefer was going to be a major key to whatever this team did, um, especially with its pitching staff. Obviously, you know, we saw over the course of the offseason where you saw a lot of guys take some major leaps. Um, but to actually see that sort of translate here over this first month plus of the season, you know, we're, we're a little bit over a third of the way. I mean, approaching the halfway point almost of the season. And you've seen so many guys who have kind of stepped forward. You've seen, the, you know, the results kind of, you know, bear fruit so far. And I think that can take a little bit of pressure off of him as well as, you know, he mm-hmm. continues to find his role. Um, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all, you know, if Brandon can, you know, kind of hold on to a spot there in the weekend spot, you know, with the progressions we've seen from Max as well as Connor. You know, we talked about this, you know, off the air recently about how, you know, you could see a scenario where UNC could go either one of Max or Connor on Friday, move Brandon to the Saturday spot, and then have, you know, the other one of those guys, the other one of those righties on Sundays, and then you're going right, left, right, which we know mm-hmm. the coaching staff kind of likes the idea of that a little bit as well. So I think, you know, I'm extremely intrigued to see how Brandon kind of handles this. And obviously, again, I don't think there's a ton of pressure on him to figure things out. Whereas, you know, there might have could have been if some guys had stepped forward as much as they have. Yeah, absolutely agree. And the other thing is, and we just talked about this with Osuna at the plate. You're talking about a guy who's got to get acclimated and get used to the higher level of competition. The hitters are just better than what he saw last year. And look at his first three starts non-conference. They were fantastic. ACC is a different beast. You just kind of have to figure out how to be successful with your stuff. And while he works through that, there are other options for the Tar Heels. But I do fully expect him to be a big part of the pitching staff, whether starter or bullpen, um, as this season progresses. You know, and we kind of talked about there. I think that's a good point in terms of the competition as well. We talked about on Monday about how Coach Forbes had said after the Miami series that he felt like Brandon was trying to focus maybe a little bit too much on the velocity standpoint, Mm -hmm. even though he's not a velocity guy, he's a command guy. And maybe that's part of it, that he feels like he has to kind of overpower guys if he's going to be able to get that advantage on these ACC hitters. But we've seen, you know, when the command is there, I mean, he's almost untouchable. I mean, we saw it throughout the offseason, especially there in his last two starts of the preseason, where I think UNC maybe managed a handful of hits off of him across two starts. And obviously, we've seen the potential of this lineup so far. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about him and kind of where he's going to be at. I think, you know, by the time we get to May, I mean, I think he's going to be a major piece of this team. The opponent this weekend for the Tar Heels, 15-6 and overall, 3-4 and in ACC play. It is Virginia Tech coming to town, 6 o'clock first pitch on Friday, 2 o'clock on Saturday, 1 on Sunday. I don't know what order their pitchers will be, but this weekend, Ryan Okuda, Drew Hackenberg, Griffin Green are the three that have gone almost every weekend for them. Virginia Tech is what Virginia Tech really has been under uh, their head coach here the last three or four years. Really good offensive club. I mean, really good offensive club. Pitching can give up some runs, give up some hits. Um, They don't make a ton of mistakes out in the field, but it's kind of interesting if you look at their numbers and where they rank both nationally and in the ACC. Second in the conference in batting average at 327 on the year. Lead the ACC with 47 home runs. But on the flip side, 13th in opponent batting average, giving up a 268 average to teams that they face. So kind of a mixed bag with the Hokies as they come to town. Yeah, you know, obviously you when you look at those numbers, you also go back and look at kind of who they face so far this year. 
um, not any major teams who they faced in the non-conference slate and so far here in ACC play. You know, they got swept by a Georgia Tech team that, you know, I think, you know, is a strong team, but at the same time, it also has kind of had its ups and downs as well. Mm-hmm. Took two or three from Pitt, and then obviously they only played one game against Notre Dame last weekend. So I think, you know, there is still a lot to kind of be determined about this team. But, I mean, like you said, I mean, the offensive numbers so far have been, I mean, pretty crazy. I mean, expanding on that a little bit, I mean, they're seventh nationally in batting average. They are fifth nationally in home runs, slugging percentage. They're also uh, second nationally. So, I mean, they've been putting up some big-time numbers, and a lot of that has to do with their outfield. You know, they have two guys who, you know, D1 baseball recently, they've been releasing uh, their top guys at position, uh, and they recently released their top 100 outfielders on the year, and they have two guys who are top 19 in the country. And Jack Hurley, who's slashing an absurd 494, 545, 974, with nine homers and 27 RBIs so far. And then the other guy, I mean, coming in at number 19 is Gavin Cross, you know, who Baseball America ranks as the number nine overall prospect in this upcoming draft. I mean, a likely find almost a surefire first round pick this upcoming summer. I mean, he's slashing 299, 386, 558. And he's also got some speed in there as well. So I think, you know, I think this will be an interesting challenge for this team, uh, for the UNC pitching staff, and to see kind of how what the approach is kind of in terms of attacking these hitters. They, uh, they, Virginia Tech, a team not afraid to run 35 stolen bases on the team, and there's not one guy uh, that's getting it done. They've got five or six with multiple stolen bags on the season. Um, I think, honestly, you know, looking at those numbers, it comes down to Carolina has to play clean baseball. I know it sounds redundant and simple, but if Carolina plays clean baseball, I think they come away with a series win, but you don't want to give a team who can hit the ball around the ballpark and out of the ballpark extra base runners. That's when you can get into some trouble. Yeah, that's a good point, especially uh, you go and you look at UNC's fielding percentage. You know, they've been fielding the ball a little bit better recently, but you know, still 969, that's 113th nationally. You know, Virginia Tech, you know, you're not really going to, at least so far, based on the numbers, I mean, they're not going to make a lot, whole lot of mistakes, ranking seventh nationally with a 985 fielding percentage. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right. I think a lot of this matchup could boil down to, you know, who can kind of, you know, avoid those sort of mistakes. And, you know, obviously walks as well. I mean, Virginia Tech, they haven't allowed a whole lot of walks this season. You know, they're averaging 3.53 per nine innings. That ranks third in the conference, 47th nationally. So, you know, that's another aspect to watch. I will say, looking through the numbers, that uh, Okuda, who I think is their Saturday guy, um, 10 walks this season against 17 strikeouts in just 23 innings pitched. So not everybody on that staff is has got a great control, but you got to take your advantage when you get them, if mm-hmm. you get them, um, and not give them up. And and uh, we'll see what Carolina can do this weekend. It was big to get the win Tuesday against App State. You feel good about things. No losing streak that you have to worry about lingering in the back of your mind. Go out there Friday night under the lights and uh, hopefully get off to a good start, whether it's Bobert or Carlson. We have yet to see, but – it all starts that first pitch Friday. Get off to a good start there and let things roll. Any last thoughts from you, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I guess just I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, we get a 6 p.m. game here on Friday night, really first night Friday game we've had this year because that pit game got moved up because of the weather, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of ACC play, that is. Um, so that'll be kind of interesting to see. I and mean, hopefully there's a big crowd for that one as well as on Saturday, obviously, you know, with the big final four game between UNC and Duke, you know, wait, what's going on Saturday, <laughs> uh, you know, late tip. So, I mean, there's plenty of time to get over the Bosch, catch what should be, you know, a big time, you know, 
UNC Virginia Tech game, you know, obviously one team could be going for the series win at that point. You know, we'll see if it's UNC or, you know, just I mean, what could be, you know, a really interesting pitching matchup as well. Sunday, one o'clock start. If that Duke Carolina game is close, I'm not sure how perky people are going to be Sunday, <laughs> but we'll see. I'll be at the ballpark for all three regardless. So will Pat say hello if you see us. Come out and support the Tar Heels. If not, go ahead and follow along on the radio or on the website where it will stream. I am Kyle Straub. He is Pat James. That's going to do it for this episode of Bosch for the Bigs, Carolina and Virginia Tech this weekend. Let's go Tar Heels. Thanks for joining us here on Bosch for the Bigs.